very welcome this morning. Glad to see anybody struggle to get out of their beds this morning. Uh, some are like, no, it was good, it was good. Um, well, look, you're very welcome. My name is Thomas. I am the pastor here in Journey Down Patrick, which um, I have the privilege to do so. And if this is your first time, I just want to say you're especially welcome. You know, we are a, a crazy bunch of, of people who gather from different walks of life, different um, church backgrounds and non-church backgrounds. So um, to, to meet in what this used to be an old bingo hall, um, honestly, if you were here a couple of weeks back, you would have seen the images of that to really see the restoration and the change that's gone in this place, but also the restoration and the change that's gone in the lives of the people here in this room is, is really encouraging to see what God is doing in our midst. And what I really love about what we want to do as a community, if you don't really know, maybe you've just been around and you're going, you know, who are journey, because we can't really be put in a box. You know, from down this way, people try to put us in the box and then, you know, they try to help get us. How do we explain this to other people? And I say, when you find out, come let us know. But people don't have a grid and that's always what we want to do. But we are a people that really do come to, ga- to gather around God's presence. We, we, we want sound doctrine, we want sound teaching, we want to know healthy theology that leads to healthy psychology. But also all of that is coming when we come to gather around the presence of God and worship and and, in, and when we read scripture, and, and we want to really keep that at the center. That how do you know? How many know Jesus is alive? He's not just this idea, this moral good person that we read about and we we glean from his teachings from two thousand years ago. We do that, but also we get to come and, and encounter with him. And what I love, what we do as a community is, you know, encounter is what we we want to come in this presence. But how many know that's that's secondary to our belief system here? Because our primary belief system is we come first to glorify and worship him. We come regardless of our situation and our circumstance. And we want to worship him. We want to lift him up. We want to make much of him. And then by a byproduct, lives are changed. You know, our, you know we don't, yes, we want our lives changed. But there's something when we minister to him, first and foremost, then everything else comes. That's one of our core values is seek first the kingdom. The kingdom is a person, by the way. And then everything else comes. Um, and that's what we want to do. Because like I said, you know, in, in current uh, society and cults right now, they're always, everyone's seeking help. Everyone's seeking a place of peace in their lives. But what society are trying to do, when they, especially when they're outside of Christ, is they're trying to seek for that help on the inside. And like I said, CBT, person-centered therapy, all those types of things, they will lead us into this place of searching ourselves for the answer. But actually, it's not in on ourselves. We may have some, but actually... There's something else where we get able to get free when we look to Jesus. And that's one of the things, if maybe you're new and you're, you're seeking, you know, how do I, we have a fantastic counseling service. I want to, is Anne about, give us a wave, Anne. I mean, you're getting introduced to everybody today, right? You get the men's breakfast, but also you're getting introduced to um, Anne and myself. We would love to, um, or there's other people in Antrim as well that would love to, to meet with you. If you're looking support and help in your life, um, you're, you know, all of those external belief systems of looking to yourself, it infiltrates the church whether we like it or not. And all of a sudden we sing songs, all of a sudden we, we teach doctrine and, and, and belief systems that say, look to yourself. You know, but actually, Sam doesn't say, look to yourself because that's where your help comes from. No, it says, I raise my eyes to his holy hill because that's where my help comes from. And that's what we want to do. And I really believe that as we continue to do that, as we center around him and minister to him, lives are changed. And all of a sudden you actually find hope that you're looking for, but that's not my preach this morning. I just wanted to say that, you know, sometimes you just catch it, the wind when it's on. But if you're just joining us, we are, um, I would say in the middle, but no, mere uh, at the end. Um, we are at the end, actually, because next week's a different sermon series, but uh, we've been doing new beginnings, and obviously, 
you know, that we've been looking at a few different things, looking um, just when we're going into a season of change and transition, you know, as a new year comes, it's a new year, me say new me type thing. But also, um, it helps us to reorientate our lives. But if you have known, we're, we're in a time of transition as a church, moving from this space into a new building. But also, I just feel like spiritually and, and psychologically, God is bringing us always on a time of transition. And uh, I would encourage you to go onto our podcast and check up on that. James spoke a real prophetic message um, last week as well, which would encourage you to go um, listen up on, all about logic. And this week, I was really in this transition and, you know, the stages of life that we're in, I was really tempted to uh, call this message Tested in Transition. But the more I was thinking about it, I came up with this, uh, this title on it. Really, for me, it was when it doesn't make sense. Anybody ever been in a season where you just go, it just doesn't make sense, right? And when life doesn't make sense in the direction you're going, you don't really know. And that's what um, I want to look at. So I want to ask you, I wonder if any of you have ever found yourself in a time of testing. I'm not talking about exams, okay? I know some of you are doing exams. Uh, or for some of you, you're like, that's been a long time ago. And maybe you're a teacher and you're in the middle. Maybe you're like Hannah and, you know, they're, you know working in a school. There's exam time, you're doing practical tests and all sorts of things. Or you have grandkids that are all about to prepare for the transfer test. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a time in your life where your faith or your trust in God was actually tested. What we're going to do is we want to look at Genesis 22. So if you have your Bibles, we want to look um, at a particular uh, account in, in Scripture where, uh, between Abraham and Isaac. And when God tests Abraham, it'll come up on the screen. But I really want to begin to just to look at that story. And I really feel like God has some things for us just to really um, unpack. So that's Genesis 22 if you have a Bible on your phone or wherever it may be, but it should come up on the screen as well, okay? Just a bit of quick context to, to this passage is this is a time after God had promised Abraham that he would make a great nation from his family line. We see it's a, at a, after a time when Abraham and his wife Sarah went from not being able to have children to then receiving a son through surrogacy. Then they were able to have a child called Isaac, but then a point came where Sarah wanted to get rid of Abraham's other son and his birth mother, which was Hagar, okay? And you can go and look at that. But why that context is important is because what we see is uh, God's testing of Abraham came in the midst of a real family dynamic. Anybody here got family dynamics? Anybody here got family dynamics? A few scratches up the head, nobody's going to um, admit, right? And this is something for all of us we will find ourselves in. And what I want to remember is the test that God gave to Abraham was this. In verse 2 it says, uh, God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moira and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You see, what we see is they travel three days. They, they go to, again, they know a location, but they don't know the exact place. So they head into an unknown place and venture to see um, what God will make known to them. And in verse 6, it goes on, it should come up on the screen, and it says this. It says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his knife, the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went with them together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He says, Then Isaac said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? Anybody been ever watching a movie where you're in the inside knowledge, right? We're in the inside knowledge, something that Isaac doesn't know. 
But how many know God sometimes leads you into something where you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle yet? Anybody ever been in that? And it's actually not until you're in the middle of it that we'll soon see that he gives you what you need. Verse 8 goes on to say, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for him the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then he came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He then bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. And then he said, the Lord said, do not lay your hand on the lad. Sounds a bit Northern Irish, right? Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. A lot of us will know the story. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, any, I, it was, it probably was actually GCSE years, it was when I was in school. I remember going to Bombardier. We, we got to go with Bombardier Aircraft up in, up in Belfast near Ikea. Um, and we got to go, it was around the time where we were looking at what career you want to be, what you want to do with your future. And um, obviously the likes of engineering and everything has um, a few engineers in the room. But like that really began to take off. And we went and we got a bit of a, an induction to the career, what it looked like. Obviously, it's a big, big company, many, many different departments. But we got to go around, and at that time, we got to see some of the stages that, of manufacturing. We got to see when they were, they were making some of the insides of a fuselage. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen in the inside of a fuselage of an airplane. There's quite a lot goes in there. And um, we also began, I think they were making, either they were importing the seats or they were, they were putting the seats in at that point. But also at that stage, they were beginning to, to make a few of the wings as well. And Bombardier, if you know, is a massive um, aircraft company with, with, with stations all around the world. But what we heard is that when, um, even though the, 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 air, the airplane engines aren't made um, in Belfast, we began, at that time at least, we began to hear of, of the extreme conditions that aircraft engines are put under before they're ever um, begin to be sent off. They're put on their, their severe conditions. They're pushed to the max. They're pushed almost to um, test it to max capacity in order to see that whatever future flying conditions they'll go under, that they're airworthy. So the test that they go under in the factory is to make sure that they're airworthy for the journey that they're going to have for the aircrafts. See, sometimes the greater the testing actually reveals the greater the journey we're going to take. I want to ask you, what if what God is testing you in now is to make sure you're airworthy for what he has for you? Because I want to say, God has destined you to go far. It's not about us, but how many know the further you go, the greater the reward Jesus gets? And as Christians, we don't like to talk about achievement. We don't like to be talking about how far we can go in Christ. Because in Northern Ireland, we have that thing called you know, false humility, right? But I believe the greater things we can do is actually so that Jesus can get a greater reward. That he can get a greater crown. That he can get greater glory for what he's doing. But too many people, particularly Christians, begin to think that God's testing is a form of punishment. But what I want to suggest to you, what about it's his blessing? Because God won't send you into something that you're not built for. Just as the aircraft engines go under extreme testing in order to make that they're airworthy, God 
wants to do something in us and through us so that we're built to last. In today's society, you already know when you buy toys, everything has like a shorter lifespan. I'll, I'll prove it. Anybody here have like a, a, a modern day iPhone or um, Samsung or whatever? And the battery life and, you know, it only lasts for a number of years. Anybody here got a Nokia 2510 or whatever the heck that is? It's probably still got full battery from back in the day, right? It built the last. There's a difference. But like many of us, sometimes when we're in the middle of something, it doesn't make sense. You see, what God was testing in Abraham went contrary to both human reason, with human sacrifice, but also God's divine promise. Because in Genesis 21, 12, we read that God said that out of and through out of Isaac, that a faithful nation will come. In fact, that your, the seed of your descendants will be greater than the, the sands on the, and the strains of the earth. You see, one moment we see that God promised Abraham, that a great nation would come from his seed. But then we see God ask Abraham to sacrifice that very seed. That when God leads us into things that don't always make sense, how many know that we have to give up our right to understand? We will never be able to enter in fully when we always have to understand. Anybody else like to understand everything? Where's all your program planners that have everything to tea? Hannah laughs all the time because anytime we go on a holiday, I plan in spontaneous time. It's just more efficient, right? I like to know when we're going to be spontaneous. I was never like this a number of years ago. <laughs> I know some of you will be the same. Because how many know our worship of God isn't contingent on our ability to understand what he's doing? I'll say that to the side of the room because you're all looking at me. Our worship of God is not contingent on our ability to understand what he's doing. Hannah and I live up the, up the Saul Road, which if you're a Down Patrick local, you'll know that it's up near where um, the, the supposed site of, of St. Patrick's first uh, church in, in Ireland. If you're not, when you come to the Belfast Roundabout, it's somewhere that direction, right? Um, just that side of town. And I didn't get chatting to Rory and Glover before this, but many speed bumps are on that road. 22? 22. Oh, you're, ha yeah, you're halfway up the road, you see. I don't, there's more when you go on. Um, and as I was driving, just, uh, there's like 22. There's, there's quite a lot, right? Where we live, I think there's maybe only 19, so you know, we've got to be a bit more favor. Um, but on this road, I was driving down, down uh, I think I was driving into town. I can't remember exactly four. Um, and I was driving along, and there was clear road, you know, and I wasn't in a rush or anything, but it was a clear road, and I was going through all these speed bumps. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he says, what's the purpose of a speed bump? I don't know if you've been asked a really basic question like that before. What's the purpose of a speed bump? I says, it's, well, it's to reduce speed. And he felt like the Lord says, yes, that's true. But it's actually, the purpose of a speed bump is to keep people safe. You see, a speed bump was introduced because of that child who was out playing and got knocked down because of speed, or that cyclist that's just trying to share the road in a residential area. Yes, it's to reduce speed, but actually speed is a factor, but safety is the primary goal. And I got to think, I was like, okay, random. And I felt like the Lord said, you know, sometimes the obstacles in life are not just to slow you down, but to keep you on track. You see, what if that obstruction that God's been allowing in your life is his blessing? See, God had blessed Abraham with his son Isaac. 
And to Abraham, the test could have seemed cruel. But God was about to extract the faith from Abraham that a nation would need. God was about to set Abraham up for a testimony that coming generations would need to hold on to. You see, it's not that God obstructs or plans to obstruct the flow of love in our life. I believe that's the, the devil. But when it comes to our plan and our purposes and trajectory of life, sometimes God allows the speed bumps for our best interest. You see, we can live life consistently frustrated because things aren't going our way. Anybody feel like that? Or we can begin to think, maybe God is allowing certain obstacles in our lives not to frustrate us, but to direct us. You know, at the start of the month, Hannah and I again, Hannah includes in all my sermons sometimes, you know, she loves and hates it at the same time. And uh, we were heading off to, I think it was Lisburn. We were returning some Christmas gifts. Not any, anybody in here in particular, by the way. So, um, <laughs> all right, just so you think. Um, not at all. Um, and uh, we were, I think it was clothing. We were heading up to um, the, the shopping center in Lisburn. Just because the other shopping center happened to be near a, f- a further destination, not say where, but um, we were heading up the three battle hinge going up to the back road towards Lisburn, and we came to a diversion. Anybody love a diversion? Is that a whip? A sarcastic one? And um, we came to a diversion, and all of a sudden we had to take a, a, different, a different direction. But how many know that, you know, we go those routes, we go those back routes in, in autopilot. We, we have destinations where all of a sudden we're, we're on our way, we know where we're going. We're, we're in autopilot, we're not even thinking about it. We come to a diversion, and all of a sudden we have to think, where, how else did I get here? And then you go off, off a different route. But oftentimes, you know, a route that we've been going on autopilot, when we take that different change, all of a sudden Google Maps starts doing this thing, rerouting, rerouting. Anybody do that? Rerouting, you're like, you know, you're trying to say, shut up, where are we going? You see, even though we might have to go a different way, it doesn't mean that we ever give up focus on where we're going. You know, when we rerouted that time, we didn't go, right, we're not going to Lisbon, we're going to go to, you know, somewhere else. You just have to figure out a different way to get there. And too many, I believe too many Christians, that when they're going through a season of rerouting, they give up entirely, instead of realizing that maybe God has a different and better way. You see, Abraham sustained his faith by remembering what God had said previously. In 21.12, says, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. That when we go into a time with God that seems very counterintuitive to what God first said, is we have to trust in his nature. That when God says something, now I'm not talking about something that contradicts scripture, by the way, okay? But what we see is that when God makes promises in our lives or, or pours a blessing in our lives, and then all of a sudden has to do something that might seem contrary or counterintuitive. It's in those moments we have to trust in his nature. You see, I believe in times of testing, the promises of God we hold tightly, but the process we hold lightly. That everything in life we hold with open hands. Because how many of you know that in this life it's not about ownership, but simply about stewardship? Stewardship. Because he's the one that gives and takes away. And therefore, anxiety will reduce in our lives when one, we hold on, okay, this is what God said, but two, I hold the process lightly. Because I don't know when I'm going to come to a diversion, a speed bump, and something that all of a sudden has the power 
to take me from a moment of peace to a moment of chaos on the inside. Anybody ever experienced that? I just asked you, who loves a diversion straight away? No. I'll do a wee simple test. Diversions, good or bad? Good, hands up. He's just playing devil's advocate. Bad. I see, yeah. It's a policeman, you see. God has destined something in in the inside of us that we would have not only self-control, but we would have a measure of peace that no diversion in life should be able to cause so much anxiety in us. Do you know what I've discovered? I've mentioned before, God sends me slow drivers because he's like, I'm going to see if you're going to pass this test. Next time you're going about, and when we're saying, get behind me, Satan, God's like, no, I'm going to bring you a test. Or next time you come to a diversion and you get all triggered and anxious, you're all starting to shuffle now. You're going, ah. Ask, Lord, is there something in me that actually you've sent this test? Not to be cruel, but in order to create something in you so that actually you will become more like Christ. Sometimes, I've said it before, we're given the enemy the credit what actually is God's genius design. Again, not when it comes to obstruction of love. We'll maybe look at the, the demonic another time. You know, any, when it comes to an airplane that is being manufactured and made, in fact, you know, Bombardier do this. They do what they call the ultimate low test on an aircraft wing. And they do that. They exert so much stress. They put, they put so much pressure and low testing on, on the aircraft wing to see how much stress the wings can endure. Because the strength of the wings will dictate if it can both stay on course and change direction in tough stormy conditions. Sometimes I've discovered God likes to test you, but also he likes to change direction just to make sure that you're still listening. He just likes to go, I'm going to go over here. Why? Because when we rely on religion to stay close to God, he says, no, I'm about relationship. How many know, you might know friends, family, spouses, ways, but you know why we just go three seasons, you go, oh, are we on the same page? Are we going down the same direction? Because how many of you know, God, you're not Siri for God. What you don't do is you don't pump in a destination and say, right, God, take me there. Or get better still, God's not your Siri. In some ways he is, but he's, he's not. We don't say, these are our plans, these are our purposes. God, tell me what to do. And guess what? God doesn't get frantic and go rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. He knows the way. In fact, I've discovered sometimes God allows those things because he wants to shake up and remove the things in our hearts that have been elevated above him is what we see. See, God blessed Abraham with Isaac and then God asked Abraham to give him back. Because sometimes holding tighter to both his promises and his blessings reveals that we're more in love with them than we are with him. And that's faulty worship. That's perverted worship. That too many people might find God's request for human sacrifice a very strange one, and we get it. But God wants us to consistently give back to him the blessings that he gave us. In fact, God asked Abraham to give back Isaac so that God would have his rightful place in Abraham's life and in his family's life. 
Because when we put God back in his rightful place, everything in our life begins to take place. I'll say that again. When we begin to put God back in his rightful place, everything else in our life begins to take place. That when God is above everything else, then we actually get a better handle on everything else in our lives. It some ways seems counterintuitive. How many know God's counterintuitive to our ways? That when we begin to surrender things to him and give it consistently back, that all of a sudden when he is in his God seat, we then begin to get a better handle on life. Whether it's our dreams, our desires for life, whether it's our finances, our possessions, our time and our family, in this life we own nothing. You might have worked extra hard to get the things that you have. But can I tell you something? He is the one who put breath in your lungs. He is the one who allowed you to have that very thing. So what we do is we live from a place, and it's really important, that we know that we live in a place not of ownership. And we have a lot of possessions. I know there's people who are very successful in this room. But you own nothing. Instead, the God places things in your hands that you hold very lightly. The moment you do this, guess what he does? He begins to, see that very thing you hold tightly to, can I tell you? And God knows you better than you know yourself. What he'll do, that thing that you're holding that tightly, he all of a sudden goes, hey, what's that wee thing you're holding? Why? Because he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Because remember, if God knows, then we'll begin to see as the enemy moves in our lives, when we have a, give him a foothold, a stronghold, all of a sudden, when we begin to love that very thing, that thing gets played on. So God wants to, not to be cruel, but actually to lead you to a place where you go, I surrender all. I hold it lightly. Can I tell you something? He who is willing to lose his life, find it. It's why we have to allow God to be in his God seat. You see, if your spouse is in your God seat, chances are you're going to use them to fill the insecurities within you. If God isn't at the center of your parenting, then chances are you're going to be controlling your kids in reaction to your own upbringing. In fact, no matter if you're single, you're married, or whatever it may, may be, our concept of family will never be complete if we don't surrender to God. Our desires and our hopes of where we thought our family life should be and could be, we surrender to Him. And the only way we keep moving forward in faith is because we refuse to settle for what's convenient. Again, like I said, last week James spoke prophetically, I really believe, on, on logic, being friend or foe. And I encourage you to go listen. But we saw a test that God done. How he reduced Gideon's army down to 300 in order to face over 135,000 Midianites. I mean, obviously that's illogical and, and counterintuitive. But we see a test that he did in order to get God's, his army, where he brought them down to the river. And he says, those who lap, essentially lap from the water, is those who, who stand on their feet and they, they drink from the water out of their hands. And then those who get down on their hands and knees and drink, you know, straight from the stream. There was a test that you go, that's a very strange one, but actually it was military in nature because what God done was then, he, he was sifting those who took the easy way. He got down and, you know, drank straight from the stream. Instead, those who stood and lapped like a dog out of their hands because they were ready for what God was going to do. They were standing ready, but also they weren't willing to always take the convenient way. How many of you know that when you find yourselves in a time of testing, you will be caught between what is comfortable and what God calls of you? You will be caught in what is comfortable, 
what is easy and convenient to what God calls of you. See, whatever we're facing, we can either try to do it our own strength or in his grace. You see, fortunately for us and Abraham, the answer lay in a ram caught in a thicket. Verse 13 says, And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, it is the mount that the Lord shall, provide, shall be provided. Of the Lord it shall be provided. We know that in this story, the lamb points to Jesus who was the, the lamb to come. The lamb that would be slain for our sins. The lamb who would overcome our separation with God. And what we see in this moment is the substitutionary salvation that meant that the lamb was released from its predicament so that Abraham could be released from his. Now we know Jesus was never in a predicament in its, force, in its um, pre-shadowing, but actually what we see is that the, the lamb was released so therefore Abraham was released from his. That when we feel caught by sin or we feel caught in the struggle of to have faith and trust in God's plan, he provides the grace for a way through. In fact, what I love about the kingdom of God, the substitute is the best player. Football, rugby, whatever the sport may be. I know, don't, I know sports analogy, don't switch it off. But the, the substitute, unless your best player has been injured, you know, then it's a different tactic. But in the kingdom, the substitute was the best player and his name is Jesus. When you feel like life doesn't make sense or you're overwhelmed by your testing, when we call on him, he then brings the next piece of the puzzle. Sometimes his presence is the next piece. Other times, when we're in the middle of it, he then begins to reveal a way. But remember, it may not be the way that you want. And it's out of his substitution that the blessing flows. You see, like Abraham, when we choose to consistently give back to God what he asks, blessing then can flow to our communities. You see, for us, it's not just about going to, big, to build a bigger building. But actually, it's about building our faith and obedience in God that inspires the next generation. Can I tell you something? That big building will be meaningless if we do not allow God to build faith in us that inspires our community. I want us to be a group of people that have faith, so much faith that it makes our community doubt their disbelief in God. That we can have so much obedience and faith in God that they all of a sudden go, I... I, have, don't, I don't have faith. I want what you have. That's who we're called to be. We don't get that through with Jesus gentle, meek and mild. We get that through a God who's willing to allow uh, things to come on us. You see, we live in a time with so much material medication. And I use that phrase. We have so much material medication for our pain. I'm not talking about actual medication. But we have so much material stuff that make us, we don't even realize we have pain. The society doesn't even know they have a problem. I believe in our current test can help us become the faithful community that we call for. That the generations entered into blessing because Abraham's obedience. Ultimately, it was actually God's goodness. But what we see is Abraham's obedience. Remember, our God yesterday becomes our children's legacy for tomorrow. Your obedience to God today can become a legacy 
for the generations coming behind us, for your community. That what we give today sets a ceiling that then becomes the generation coming behind us, their floor. Can I tell you something? I don't believe I am, you know, having the faith and doing different things that I'm able to do without people in this room who were way before me praying and interceding. You can blame them for me being here. Because I can tell you there are other communities outside of our community who have prayed for years, who give God their yes when he asked them of that season. And there are people, not even in this room, but at other places that we begin to see it is their legacy. I want to invite Chris and the guys back up. There always will be doubters, okay? And every testing there will be doubters. Many will say, well, if God's good, then why would he not just step in during a financial crisis? If God is good and God's the ultimate leader, why does he not just fix Stormont? If God was good, then he wouldn't allow us to struggle or he wouldn't keep us from knowing the bigger picture. But see like that ultimate load test that gets put on aircraft wings? Maybe that God, the God is testing, that God's testing upon you is actually about building faith in you. Maybe that ultimate low test where you feel like you're going to crumble, is that testing that, allows, that God allows to come on you is building the faith in you for what is ahead of you. Some of it might be just our own spirit of stupidity, by the way. But we need to embrace a level of mystery in this life, knowing that it'll all be made clear in the next. You see, it's easy to applaud God when you know what he's doing. I mean, the crowds did that with Jesus' ministry. But when he died and they didn't know what they were doing, it was only the few that stayed. It's easy to applaud God when you know what he's doing. In fact, in testing a mystery, we have the opportunity to give him a worship that we'll not be able to give him in heaven. Because when we're in heaven, we will be able to see and know things from a completely different perspective. There'll be no confusion, no brokenness, no struggle when we're in him and his fullness and his glory. So when you're in a moment of mystery, of pain and struggle in your life, when we come, like I said, to sing and worship and obey him in our lives in the midst of confusion, we are giving him an offering that we will not be able to give him in the next. That is perspective on our struggles. Because the shallow in faith will say, I need to understand all that he is doing before I obey. But those who have deepened faith, like Abraham, will say, I will worship him, I will obey him, even when I don't. So why don't you stand? And I want to ask you today, as we close in in worship, is there will be a reorientation on the inside of you. Now you would worship him in song and with your obedience in life, even when you don't understand. Can I tell you something? Your roots and your faith in him will go even deeper. He will begin to call more upon you. He will begin to use you more, but also you will encounter his nature in a way that will create a legacy in your family and those around you, that it will cause people to doubt their disbelief in Jesus. So today, hold his promises tightly, but hold the process lightly. Because he gives and he takes away and we count it all joy knowing that he is the joy set before us. So this morning, whatever the Spirit's speaking to you, 
I want us to worship him, knowing that if you're in a time of rerouting or obstacles, that actually you'll worship him anyway until he makes the next step clear. So Father, we thank you that God, we are a people of your presence, but God, we worship you even when things don't go our way. God, because we don't worship you for what we can get from you, but God, we worship you because without you, we wouldn't have anything. And Father, this morning, we would be a people that have so deep of roots of faith that our community would become saved by the testimonies, that lives would be inspired, that generations coming behind would realize that there is an answer for their pain, for their struggle, for their confusion, that they would not look onto the inside as person-centered therapy talks about, but God, we will look to you, Christ-centered therapy, Christ-centered hope and glory. So Father, this morning I pray the Holy Spirit, you would do something that we would not, every testing and every trial, we would count to joy, just as the disciples said, Jesus, knowing that you've paved the way, that by your grace, it's all sufficient. So Father, right now, would you make it, you would deepen the faith in this room and our people. God, that they would not be shallow Christians, but they would be deep followers of you, lovers of you, God, who would worship you, who would have faith like the martyrs had, who would have faith, God, that, that missionaries that traveled into the dark, barren lands, God, had deep conviction of you, that when they, everything was stripped away, they still worshiped you. That as Patrick lay on the hill as a slave in this land, God, and he says, I will still worship you. And he continued to give you our yes. God, we would be a people, as we seek to be missionaries in our homeland, God, that we would be a people that would have deep faith in you. Holy Spirit, continue to do deep work. We count it all joy because you, the testing you put upon us is to build deep faith in us. So Father, I pray by your grace and by your love, God, we would see your Holy Spirit come in your people this morning.